Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. No one really likes their words taken out of context. No, yeah, nobody really likes that. Have you ever um, had something that you said in one place, repeated in another place, and you were like, yeah, that is so out of context, or repeated by someone who overheard you say something, and they didn't know the context in which those words were spoken? Yeah, nobody, nobody likes to have their words taken out of context. Pull quotes are an example of this, snippets, sound bites, headlines, we hear them every day. They're used to grab our attention. Um, but nobody likes their words taken out of context, right? I mean, you don't, I don't. God doesn't. God doesn't like his words taken out of context. And you and I know um, how much context matters in terms of understanding what God has said about himself, his character, and his ways in the Bible. Um, So if I told you, let's just say that God used a flood to exterminate every living creature and every person upon the earth, except for, you know, a boatload. Context would matter, right? If I told you that God allowed his one and only son to be crucified in an excruciating death upon a Roman cross, context would matter, right? Context matters. Nobody wants their words taken out of context. So the next time somebody uses a, drops a scripture verse, you know, like as a pull quote, as a snippet, as a soundbite, I want you to pause and consider the context of that verse. Ask yourself what you know about the book that it's drawn from, the writer of that book, where that book falls in the redemptive narrative of the Old and New Testaments, what the context of the quote is in terms of You know, the moment in time, the story, the person speaking, the people being spoken to. The next time you hear a verse of scripture, just, you know, dropped like a mic, I want you to ask yourself, what's the context there? So every single day here on Mornings with Carmen, we lift up the verse of the day. And you can sign up to receive the verse of the day in your inbox at myfaithradio.com. I would recommend that you do that. But I don't want us to see them as mic drop pull quotes. I don't want us to just see them as snippets or sound bites because nobody likes their words taken out of context. And that includes God. So as we examine today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, which comes from the same chapter as yesterday's verses, so 1 John chapter 4 is where we're going to spend some time, I'm going to read today's verses in context. So we're going to read 1 John 4, verses 7 to 21, and in there we are going to hear and receive today's Growing Your Faith verses of the day, which are verses 18 and 19. So 
in context. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in God and God in us. He has given us his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, and if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, well, God lives in them, and they live in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has, has to do with punishment and no one who fears um, is not made perfect in love. We love because God first loved us. Whoever claims to love God but hates his brother or sister, well, that person is a liar For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they can see isn't loving God whom they've not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. So um, today's Growing Your Faith verses of the day come from 1 John chapter 4, and I just read them in context. Here they are um, on their own. Such love... The text says perfect love. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. So you you can't be living in fear and living in the love of God at the same time. So what do you fear today? And what does it mean to live in fear? And what does it mean to have faith that drives out fear because you are loved? If you're afraid, it's out of a fear of punishment, the text says. And this shows that Well, we haven't fully experienced God's perfect love. So, do you fear death today? (sighs) Do you fear the future today? Do you fear today? Are you living in fear? Let me tell you, you are loved and God is love and he loves you first and he loves you most and he loves you best and he loves you fully. And that love drives out fear. It is literally the power, the expulsive power of a new affection. It drives out fear. And people around us are living in fear and they need to know love. And who's going to show them what love looks like? Well, the people who have experienced it first, and that's you and me, the people in Christ. We love each other because he first loved us. So what context are you operating in or out of today? What's the setting? What's the location? What's the timing? What are the movements? What's the script? Who are the characters? What role are you playing? 
Context, 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 context. What's happening in the storyline that you're walking in today? How does that fit into the larger narrative? How does it fit into the full arc of redemptive history? How does it uh, fit into the unfolding story that God is writing over all time in the context of human lives? Where is God in the context of the story? Context, context, context. Let God speak today through the word that he has already spoken. Be in the word of God today that the word of God might get into you. That as you get out there into the world that God so loves, you might do so in ways that honor Jesus. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Next up, our friend Billy Hollowell is going to join us from Christian Broadcasting Network and uh, Faith Wire. We're going to lift up some stories um, happening across the country and in the lives of real people just like you and me. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Billy Hollowell is back. Um, He works for CBN News, the Christian Broadcasting Network, and all of the stories that we are going to talk about today, you can find at faithwire.com. Hey, Billy. Hey, how's it going? I I am well. I am well. How about you? I am doing well. Lots of of news to talk through today. Yeah, let's start with um, introducing us to Jennifer and Dan Mead, these Michigan parents. Um, Tell us their story. Yeah, this is a really crazy story, and we're going to see more of these unfold. And in fact, they're coming pretty quickly, but the, they are Michigan parents, as you said, and they are suing a public school district, and they're claiming that district employees started to socially transition their daughter without their consent. They didn't know about it. They had no idea it was happening, and that these efforts were allegedly then concealed by the school district. They are suing the Rockford Public Schools out there in Michigan, and you know, I had a chance to talk with both of them, and they talked about working with the school district initially before they knew about any of this on some of their daughter's academic needs. Um, she has autism, and so you know, they as they were sort of doing that, there was apparently this paperwork that was sent home, and in that paperwork, they were using essentially um, you know male pronouns or a male name in that paperwork, and they thought, oh, this must be a mistake. Our female daughter is who this should be about. And so that was an accident, they they claim, that this document was sent with that paperwork and the information on there. And so when they inquired to find out, they they realized, oh, my goodness, my daughter's been go by been using this other name, this male name at school, and they were you know changing it out in the documents, allegedly. So when they would communicate with the parents, it was as though, you know, it's their female daughter. But when they were talking about her in school, they were doing they were going by the male name that she wanted. And so that's sort of the backstory. Now, the family hoping they could clear this up with the school district, apparently didn't get anywhere. And they are now taking legal action after being in disbelief over the fact that this was apparently going on. Yeah. And, um, and not only asking the court to find that this is a violation of their first and 14th amendment rights, but seeking damages because it's going to cost them significantly it has cost them already, but it's going to cost them significantly to have their child educated now outside of the public school system. Um, If you want to know more about this story and pray directly for this couple, Jennifer and Dan Mead, you can find the story at faithwire.com. Our friends over at the Alliance Defending Freedom are involved um, in this case as well. Um, Billy, how about um, Planned Parenthood? 
<clears throat> um, here's a claim for you. Um, virginity is a, quote, completely made up concept. Um, yeah, maybe we could beg to differ. Yeah, you know, we're living in it's sort of like the upside down, right? And and all the things that we know are true are being told we're being told they're not true. And this is another one of those examples Planned Parenthood putting out apparently this sex education video in late January that claims as you just said that virginity is a completely made up concept. The woman in that video um talking about the fact that the word virginity was allegedly quote created simply to control and shame people. Uh, she went on to say it was discriminatory against those who do not identify as heterosexual. I don't fully understand how that's the case, but um, she called virginity whack uh, because sex means different things to different people. And then she said, quote, but where does that definition leave queer people? And so you have this very strange video, right? And let's be honest. I mean, at the end of the day, Planned Parenthood if virginity were something that were widely adopted by everyone, Planned Parenthood wouldn't be in quote unquote business. Right. And and so it's interesting when they put these sorts of videos out, of course, troubling because the assumption here is that kids or young people are going to see this and, and, and be influenced by it. Um, but yeah, a whole bunch of other claims in there as well that were equally disturbing, but the idea that virginity was sort of created to control people, it's a very bizarre claim I mean, by a measurable standard, having fewer partners and waiting till you're married, all those things are healthy for you in every way, physically, emotionally, mentally, certainly spiritually. So the idea that this is not a good thing for you to be doing and that this is somehow a control mechanism is actually a really dangerous and damaging message to put out. I think that for people operating out of a Christian worldview, you know, being reminded, as you do in the article, but being reminded that marriage is to be held in honor among all, um, that the marriage bed be undefiled, um, that God does judge sexual morality and immorality and adultery, um, Hebrews 13, 4 to 6. I think that part of the challenge that we face, um, maybe a huge part of the challenge that we face, yeah. is that people are allowed to make stuff up. And we are then not allowed to say, but the Bible actually says something very different. I mean, I get this sense, Billy, that it's okay for people to say whatever they want to say, but when Christians want to say, hey, no, actually the Bible says this, or I see, I, I you know, I hear you, I hear you saying what you're saying. Here's what I, here's another voice I'm listening to. The voice I'm listening to says this. How do you feel like as how do you feel Christians can positively get the word out um in a culture where we're we're just constantly told it's just not okay for you as a Christian to speak up? Yeah, you know, I think that we should look at the areas where we're actually seeing on this gender issue, we are actually seeing secular culture, many people from Bill Maher down the line say, wait a minute, what? And mm -hmm. I think there's a real opening there when there, when the reality we're trying to create is so otherworldly and bizarre that even people who are atheists are saying, wait, this no longer makes sense. I think there's a real in to have some rational conversations, but I think we just need to keep speaking the truth. I think there's a real effort to silence Christians, to push people into the shadows and to say, you don't have a right to speak up. And it's a huge battle to fight back against that 
you know, but we need, we need to be out there speaking the truth. Like you do on your show. Like I try to do in my work, the more we do that, the more the truth is out there, the more people will find it. Sure. Culture is going to continue devolving. People are going to get swept into it, but we can help reach people by speaking that truth. And it's such a simple thing. We have to do it in love. We have to be consistent, um, but we have to be truthful. And, and I, again, I think the gender issue is a great area where it's one of the only areas where I think we've actually seen victory in speaking the truth consistently because it's just so bizarre. And, and look, more bizarre things are coming. This is only, I think, the beginning of how weird it's going to get. Take advantage of every opportunity because the times are evil. That's from Ephesians chapter 5. Um, and so how can you take advantage today of the opportunity to speak truth in love in the context of a culture that is making statements, public statements, like virginity is a, quote, completely made-up concept? How would you respond to that? Um, do you know the truth about God's good design? He created us in his image, male and female. Do you know God's good design for marriage? Um, have you spent some time maybe over at caneofox.com um, understanding how to make positively the marriage argument in the culture today? We want to equip you for those conversations here on Mornings with Carmen, and we're thankful for our conversation partners like Billy Hollowell. We're going to continue talking with him in just a moment. Um, yeah, the Late Show with Stephen Colbert is back, and wow, some interesting things are happening there. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is your birthday song. It isn't very long. Hey! Faith Radio is celebrating 75 years of bringing faith to life. That's right. We are 75 this year. So to celebrate, we are giving away 75 Faith Radio birthday boxes packed with all kinds of fun things to help you grow in your walk of faith and, yes, celebrate with us. So we're going to be celebrating the birth and growth and future of Faith Radio all year long. And you are an integral part of the Faith Radio family. And so we want to send you a gift. How fun is that? This is our birthday song. It isn't very long. So to enter to win a Faith Radio birthday box today, come to MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Billy Hollowell from um, Christian Broadcasting Network's Faith Wire. You can find what we're talking about today at FaithWire.com. Um, all right, Billy, uh, the late show with Stephen Colbert, not maybe normally a place that you and I would turn for Christian content. And yet. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah. You know, you've got this is an interesting story because you don't often see I am second. I don't know if you're familiar with I am second. I'm sure you are. And, and listeners probably are. But it's a Christian storytelling organization. They often have celebrities on. And they recently had Paul Walter Hauser, who is an actor. He actually just won an Emmy. Uh, they had him on um, telling his story with his wife of almost losing his marriage, of finding sobriety, finding Jesus, a really incredible faith message. And yet here he is winning an Emmy right after that story comes out um, on I Am Second. And so he was interviewed uh, on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and he was wearing an I Am Second bracelet. And as he was telling his story of how, you know, when he was filming the the show that he actually won the Emmy for – how it was a really dark time in his life. Um, it was called Blackbird, the true crime miniseries that he was in in one four. As he was filming it, he ended up 
you know, finding sobriety, getting his life on the, on the right track. And so he talked about, he took a moment to say, look, if you want to know more about my story, go to I am second. He points to the I am second bracelet and people were cheering in the audience, which I thought was really cool. They clearly knew what I am second was and that he was sharing this incredible story. And so there he is saying, I did a thing called I am second, go and watch it. And he's doing that on a very popular late night show where you don't normally see those things. Um, he talked about how it was a beautiful story. And so I'm imagining I am second saw tons of people flooding in to watch this Emmy winner, just share his faith. And so just an incredible, and he didn't go on a big gospel tangent, which there's nothing wrong with going on a gospel tangent, uh, but, but he just lovingly carefully pointed people and had that bracelet on. He must've known he was going to have that moment to be able to point to it on the air. I thought it was pretty powerful. Yeah. Very powerful. Um, so you guys can um, check out I Am Second if it's, if it's something that you're not familiar with. Really incredible ministry. Um, and if you're looking for stories of encouragement, uh, life transformation, and people who have lived sort of, you know, as the person out there, I am number one. Um, this is, you know, this is in the spirit of recognizing that, um, no, I'm not. I'm not number one. I am second. Um uh, comedian Rob Schneider, you've got a uh, a piece up at faithwire.com about him as well. Yes. Um, and and this is this was a really fun conversation I had with him uh, just about his faith. You know, he had posted some things back in November about forgiving those who he was angry with over COVID and um, just the way that they were reacting and the way he was reacting to them and how he had come back to his Catholic faith. And, you know, he was a Catholic in his younger years, drifted away uh, and drifted away really because I think of Hollywood in some ways, um, but then talked about how he had come back. And so I asked him about, hey, you know, what drove that forgiveness tweet that you shared back in November? And he said, quote, Jesus only lets you stray so much. At a certain point, he grabbed me again and hugged me. And he went into a whole explanation of what that looks like and why Christianity is unique from other faiths. And it's been interesting to see the reaction to that interview because he has talked a little bit about this in, in certain interviews, but we went pretty deep on it. And um, I think because of just how far he went, you know, a lot of people are very surface. He was not surface. He went deep on what this meant and why he thought Christianity was really, he called it, quote, a beautiful way to go through life. And so that's one that people can read and and watch. We talked about a lot of a lot of topics in the almost 20 minutes, but faith was the main one. Yeah, his um his comments about beauty and um the inherent beauty in Christianity and the beauty of Christianity being predicated on the goodness of it and that goodness being predicated, you know, obviously on who God is and the goodness of God. I just always appreciate it when um, not only the truth finds a witness in the public square, um, but where the beauty and the truth, uh, the goodness and, and beauty also find witness as well. I think I tend to be a truth person, right? I mean, you know, speak the truth. Um, but we live in a culture of people who are looking for the goodness and who are beauty junkies. And so I think that when we find these testimonies where the good and the beautiful find a voice, um, it's nice to amplify them. It is. It is having that opportunity to show. And, and look, we're watching Hollywood. It's it's fallen like dominoes lately. I mean, you've had a lot of people who are at the very least curious about spiritual things, but 
a number of them coming out as very strong Christians. And that's, that is interesting. We should be praying for that because the more people in Hollywood who actually do believe that's going to have an impact hopefully. And of course I know it's easy to get negative on Hollywood uh, because of how bad it is, but gosh, we should be concerned about people's salvation and, and we should be praying for that industry. You might do a series. This is, you know, Carmen creating homework for other people. Um, on like, in the spirit of, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Maybe you could do a, can anything good come out of Hollywood? Because there is good stuff coming out of Hollywood. There is. And, and I think, you know, again, I know a lot of people who are like, well, are they really Christians? Are they really believers? You know, even like Chris Pratt, right? He curses sometimes. You'll hear people say these things and it's like, look, everybody is at a different place in their faith. It's our job to, if obviously if somebody's saying something counter gospel or they're doing something that, you know, we need to lovingly approach them as Christians and try to correct it. But most of these people, I think, need discipleship and prayer uh, moving forward in their faith. I don't mean to call, I'm just mentioning Chris Pratt because he's somebody who does come to mind on this. Uh, And yet we've heard him say incredible things on faith. So my thing is, yeah, let's get out there and pray for these people because good things are coming. And I think more will come if we get on our knees, pray and encourage these people to be more vocal. Um, If, quote, he curses sometimes, end quote, is going to be the standard, (laughs) then um, Jesus is in trouble. We're we're all doomed, Carmen. No, well, I mean, we're all doomed. No, no, no question. We're all doomed. But if he if quote he curses sometimes is going to be our standard then Jesus is in trouble i will just leave it there i think that's a good uh, <laughs> that's a good place for us to leave it um billy as always thank you so much it's a delight to talk with you thank you that's billy hollowell you can find what we talked about today and a whole lot more at faithwire.com so let me ask you this when you look back when you look back do you have like fond memories is there like a fondness to your memories when you look back how about when you sort of assess what's happening in real time today? What's your perspective, sort of good, bad, or ugly, on what's happening today? Maybe in your own life, but maybe also in the world at large. And I think that the further and further away it gets from, like, me, myself, and mine, the worse I think it is out there. So... Um, I don't know about you, but like, do you have that sense? So when I look back, I have fond memories for sure. Um, I don't dwell on things in the past that um, that were awful or caused me trauma. I want to be healed of those things. I want um, Jesus to be redeeming those memories. And so I don't dwell in those places of darkness. Um, do they exist? Sure. Um, but I don't dwell there. And then in terms of like an assessment of what's happening in real time right now, I'm pretty sober in my judgment um, about about what's happening in the world today. But I'm also extraordinarily hopeful, which then, of course, leads to the question of, as I look toward the future, what do I see? And I can answer that question at a number of different levels and layers, because certainly I see in my own future a path all the way home to the Father's house. I am headed home. So my future is filled with hope. Absolutely 100%. I'm going to live forever. And if you're in Jesus, you're going to live forever as well. And so your hope, your your future is literally filled with hope from, from here to the horizon beyond what you can see is a future filled with hope. But I'm living in a world that is desperately broken 
and where people seem to be coming up every day with new ways to commit evil. And the darkness is dark. Yes, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. Absolutely. But in in the midst of it, between here and there, in the meantime, between here and there, people are mean. Things are mean. And the times in which we live are dark and seemingly growing darker. Well, that is a matter of perspective. It's also the the reality of our calling as Christians to be agents of grace and love in the midst of the cultural current that we live in in this moment in time. So here's the question. How are you going to live for Jesus in a culture that's always changing? The book is Future Proof, and Stephen McAlpin joins us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. McAlpin is worth uh, reading and listening to, and you should do so at his website, stephenmcalpin.com. I'm happy to send you the direct link. Um, he's got some stuff posted there that, um, I got to tell you, is so boldly honest and refreshing that um, I could spend all day just talking with him about what he's got posted on his website. But today he's here to talk about his book, Future Proof, How to Live for Jesus in a Culture That Keeps Changing. Stephen, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, it's great to be with you again. Uh, it's, it's a uh, long way away, and it's uh, but uh, many you know many things unite us as we uh, listen to these the things you've been talking about this morning. So uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about um, the anxiety that Christians experience. Christians, um, you know, we don't escape sort of the cultural anxiety of our day. Christians are anxious over many many things. Um, what are some of the worries you're observing among Christians today? Well, yeah, look, I think that's true, that Christians are commonly worried about many things that uh, everyone else is worried about. Will there be war? Uh, Are interest rates going to push me out of my house? Uh, Will the politicians I don't want get in and the politicians I do want to get in and not get in? And And obviously there's things like climate and all the different things that people worry about. And I think also that Christians also have a worry that where is Christianity in our cultural moment and where is it going? It feels like it's under been under pressure and it feels like things may not be as easy going into the future for Christians. And so there's these double anxieties I think the Christians hold and those things bleed out into how we think and act and move and talk and it just affects us as much as it affects anyone else, I think. So that um, the observation that Christians worry about or are anxious about our place in the culture in the future does suggest Mm. that, you know, we've had a very privileged place, um, particularly in the West. We've had a very privileged place in culture in terms of our sense of being able to make the rules that everyone else should have to live by. Um, We are losing that, that political sense of our cultural influence. I think that's what I observe among people who I know um, you know, they they don't feel like the values that they believe as Christians are now being taught in, let's say, the public education system. They're not being advocated in the public square. Um, there are instead people with other worldviews advocating for very, very different ideas. Um, and so 
that's what we're here to talk about. The book is Future Proof, How to Live for Jesus in a Culture that Keeps Changing. So mm-hmm. how are the concerns that Christians have today related to the cultural trends that you're observing in the culture? Yeah, look, I think that's a uh, it's a big question. It's not just the US and Australia and New Zealand. It's, it's Canada, it's South Africa, it's all the Western places where I think that's, there's a shift that it isn't just that Christianity is one of the, the ideas in the marketplace, but there is a, a sense that even legislation is now hostile to Christianity in a way that perhaps culture was in the past, and but the air cover of political legislation gave us a fairly safe uh, framework. I think legislation is catching up with culture uh, and you're seeing in politics even a much hotter reaction to things that we as Christians assumed were baked into who we were as people in the West. Uh, The values of Christianity uh, and the framework of it, the underpinning of it, is starting to be uncoupled from the West and we're seeing lots of fractures. We do not have a united framework of how we look at what human flourishing means and things like that. And uh, I think that's a big anxiety, and Christians are responding to it in, in different ways, I think. The undermining of the foundation um, is a good image there. And I think that we imagine that institutions and institutional ideas can, can continue to stand when there's no foundation under them anymore. That, it feels like that's what you're pointing to. Oh, look, 100%. And it's interesting that it's secular uh, writers and thinkers who have thought long and hard about history that are raising this. And once a secular writer raises it, of course, a lot of other people come into it because, you know, if Christians are saying it, that's maybe just you complaining. That's their perception. But when historians such as Tom Holland uh, are writing about, well, Christianity shaped this culture and the things we're seeing now are not are post-Christian. That's what Tom Holland is saying, how we do end of life, how we do start of life, and all of those sorts of things that the secular historians are saying Christianity changed the world in ways that people don't even recognise. And when Christianity drains off the culture, you won't retain those values and frameworks for very long. You'll be surprised at how hostile and how, um, you know, how uh, sort of, I guess, um, nasty a post-Christian culture can be. And we haven't thought that through in a wider context yet, but many people are starting to see it. Well, and that's the forecasting that um, that you offer us. Again, we're talking with Stephen McAlpin. You ought to visit his website and check in with him there, stephenmcalpin.com. I'm happy to send you that direct link. We're talking today about his book, Future Proof, How to Live for Jesus in a Culture that Keeps Changing. Um, let's forecast ahead a little bit. What do you see on the horizon? And let me just go ahead and this 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 section, this part of the conversation should come with a warning label, it feels like. But what do you see on the horizon 10, 20, 30 years out? That, if I, I should be in the property market or something. Um, it's uh, I start the book saying, what does it look like 30 years from hence uh, if someone came back in a DeLorean sports car from Back to the Future? And I think what I, I think you would see, if you extrapolate out some of the things you're going to see, you're going to see increased polarization that will become more tribal in our belief systems. We won't die, the religious aspect of our belief systems will not be Christian, but we'll still hold to things very strongly. Uh, in fact, we'll use categories of 
that Christianity kind of gave us, saints and sinners, but we'll secularise those. I think we'll see technology push us in directions we had not anticipated with AI and things like that and immersive technologies that will uh, make us lonelier, more isolated and more distracted. And I think, too, we're going to see a sense of, in the wider culture, a, a deeper fear about the culture wars and a sense that there's no common framework of thinking where we're going as a society together. I think those are big issues. There'll be a lack of forgiveness, and I think there'll certainly be a loneliness in our culture where people have the opportunity to have any experience they want, but they're not quite sure about the meaning and purpose behind it. So we'll have a meaning and purpose deficit. Um, it feels like in, in every single one of those has a Christian um, response, um, has a Christian way of preparing to engage. Um, there's something I could do today um, to not only prepare myself to survive all of that, but to thrive in the midst of it. Can we talk a little bit about that? So what's one thing a Christian could do today to prepare to live in and even flourish in the kind of culture you're describing? Well, uh, that's a re- you know I didn't want to be the, the prophet of doom on this, and I think that Christian because we believe in the future uh, that God has got our future in in in, in control, uh, we can have confidence. And I think one of the things I would say, even if we become a community, and I want to base this in church, I want to say that if we thicken up our church communities, there's something good there. Something as simple as forgiveness. What does costly forgiveness look like in our church settings, especially as Christians, we can be just as individualistic as anyone else and just as much of a personal cancel culture as anyone else. How does how do we drill deep into the gospel of forgiveness and maintain good community where we offer that to other Christians, but also showcase that to the world? Because I think we're going to be a very unforgiving secular culture and Christians together can show something different. So I think that's just a simple way of doing it. Now, I want to embed that in church community because I think that's critical to what I've been writing about, that the church is going to be the place where these things get played out. Uh, we've been um, talking here over the course of time that, you know, here just in the United States of America, some 40 million people have actually de-churched in the last 25 mm-hmm. years. So when we come back from a very brief break, Stephen, I'm wondering if you can um, just just invite people back to church um, and what and cast a vision for that. Like we're not inviting them back to the 1950s. We're actually inviting them into, you know, what what church is is going to look like and called to be um, in the 2020s and beyond. Could we have that conversation when we come back? That would be great. Yeah. So um, if you've been listening to me for any length of time, then you know that there's a book out there called Once You See, and it cast a vision for what this kind of like thick church um, this thick church community that Stephen is going to describe as well. So um, Stephen's not just out there, you know, as a as a lone prophet on this topic. Um, this is a bell that I think Jesus is ringing. It's time to come home and to make the church our home in ways where it's the place where we find um, our real family, our brothers and sisters, our mothers and fathers, even as we live in a culture and in um you know, in genetic biological families that have departed from the gospel. So I hope that this is um, striking a chord with you and where you are living and what you're experiencing, not just today in the culture, but what you see on the horizon 
Future Proof is the book, How to Live for Jesus in a Culture that Keeps Changing. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Continuing our conversation with Stephen McAlpin, you can find him at stephenmcalpin.com. The book today, Future Proof, How to Live for Jesus in a Culture that Keeps changing. Stephen, talk about um, church. Um, here's, you know, you use the phrase thick church community. So I want you to talk about church, church community, thick church community, like all, help me see what you're talking about. Yeah, look, as I was writing this book, I was thinking there's a lot of de-churching going on in the U.S. and that's been topical. And Australia has had a, had a much more secular, thinner expression of church, I think, over the years or less people committed to them. But what I thought, if I was to extrapolate over the next 30 years, what would be the primary thing to do uh, to thicken up our lives together? It would be just turn up or start to turn up on a more regular basis. Because what we allowed to happen, and I think often we look as Christians at the bad life that can take us away from Jesus and his people. But the good life is just as likely to do that as, as the bad life, that the cares of the world, the desire for other things, you know, that third soil that Jesus talked about is as compelling to us in many ways, whereas many of the other things that seem the the big, scary cultural things in the culture around identity, gender, all those things that seem so anti-Christian, they may not be as much of a lure as just doing my own thing, me do, you know, you do you in the Christian way. And I think what I wanted to say was you can't take out of the bank what you haven't put in. The next 30 years is time to go, Maybe it's a case of preferencing church first rather than find my job, find my house, find the school that I want my kids to go to, and then find a good church in the area. What if you stayed in the same place for the sake of church? That would be a novel idea. And I'm, I think I'm starting to see a bunch of younger generations thinking about doing that. And I think just thickening up church and our community is stay with with the same people for long enough that your kids grow up together, you have grandchildren together, and you perhaps even, you know, are, are buried in, in, you know, a few years apart, having known each other for 50 or 60 years. And that's contra the culture at the moment in such a rapid discontinuous change time. But to do that would be absolutely, it would really say something to the surrounding culture. 
saying something um, to the surrounding culture um, feels like, you know, sometimes shouting into the darkness. Um, talk with us a little bit about um, out-relating the culture. You use that language, and I guess I'm wondering yeah. how how in the culture you see down the road, how am I going to out-relate a culture where so many people have not just their primary relationships, but all of their relationships on a screen? Yes, it's, it's, it's going to be an issue, and it certainly is an issue already. And I, I think one of the things is that it's, life ticks along pretty well on a screen until trouble hits. And mm-hmm. sometimes suffering or the big questions push people beyond a screen to other people. And so I met someone uh, who was introduced to me by a good friend and said, this is Claire, she's become a Christian. And I looked at her and she was a white, Western, well-educated, creative woman Uh, who worked in creative industries, and I thought, you people don't become Christians. How did that happen? (laughs) It felt like odd. But she saw something in my friend and his family and his church community that she didn't have. There was something missing, and she goes, there's something about the way you live life. And I think we've got to perhaps in one sense say it will be a lot of screen time in the future, and it can be used well. But at the core, when people are struggling, they need eyeball-to-eyeball contact, and they'll look for it in places where they think it's safe and meaningful and uh, can cope with their struggles and their sufferings. And I think there are some green shoots coming up again, that there is a whole generation that doesn't know anything about church, never been, and they're not actually hostile to something they have no experience of. And I think that's perhaps, and Tim Keller said this just before he died, actually, uh, that perhaps is a way forward that the church is going to renew with people who have no experience of it at all and they find something deep and rich in how we relate to each other in it. I um, I, I have an idea. Um, because of the age of my parents and their need to be um, considering, you know, the next move, mm. which will be, you know, like the last intentional move that they make, Yes. Um, you know, so we've been looking at an array of senior living options. Um, and here's one of the things I'm struck by. Almost every single one of these facilities has some kind of room that is, you know, on some day of the week used as a quote unquote chapel. Most of them don't mm. have anything that resembles what I would want to worship in as a chapel. <clears throat> but, you know, it's also the art room. It's the you know, it's the meeting room, it's the book club room, but, you know, on, on on a certain day of the week at a certain time, somebody comes and they use it as a chapel. And I am thinking to myself as I am, you know, looking at looking at a facility that houses many people and then a quote-unquote chapel that, you know, would accommodate maybe 20 of them. And I'm thinking mm. there is an opportunity here because so many of these people are alone at this stage of life. They have no one and they didn't develop thick relationships along the way. There is no church. There's no pastor. There's no, and I'm just thinking there are, that is going to only increase as 100%. people arrive at the age and stage of life where they cannot, they literally cannot do for themselves what they've always done. And suddenly their self-sufficiency is going to run out and they are going to not only be looking the reality of death very near in the face, but they are going to be, um, asking questions maybe that they've never asked before. And I'm concerned that the church isn't going to be present in those spaces. And so there you go. That's my call to those of you looking for um, looking for a place to establish, uh, you know, a ministry and some thick relationships. There are a lot of people sitting around waiting right now for that kind of conversation. Um, 100%. 
That's so true. I've seen That's it just my me own giving dad, homework, like giving homework yeah. to all of our listeners. <laughs> mm. um, all right. For um, let's do this. Um, because there's so much in your book that I want people to be exposed to, but you and I literally are out of time today. Is there any chance you would come back and we could talk about some of the practical um, engagement conversations that you have in the book? For sure. Look, it's one of the reasons I wrote it was to say we need some practical stuff on the philosophical stuff. We can't just keep it in the clouds. We've got to bring it into the onto the ground and say, what does it mean for Christians to live like this? Yeah, and it's so good. So I want to do that. All right. Well, we now got Stephen's commitment to come back. Um, you should check out what he's writing online. His his uh, his posts are fantastic. StephenMcAlpin.com. I'll send you that direct link. Today, uh, the book we're talking about, Future Proof, How to Live for Jesus in a Culture that Keeps Changing. Um, Stephen, thank you so much um, for not only what you do, but how you're doing it and for joining us today in this conversation. Thanks so much, Carmen. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, likewise. Um, All right. We are going to have another hour together up next. um, And let me just ask you this question. Have you read the obits lately? Mm -hmm. Have you written an obit lately? Have you even engaged in that thought process? Do you care how you're going to be remembered? How are you remembering somebody that you have known and loved along the way? We're going to deal with one particular obit next here on Mornings with Carmen. Uh, Check out what's happening at MyFaithRadio.com. And um, hey, if you're lonely, um, I've got a series of audio texts that I'd like to send you. Just text the word lonely to 877-933-2484. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.